right, welcome back to another episode of the Royals Farm Report podcast. My name is Alex Duvall. Uh, I am normally joined by our host, Joel Penfield. Joel is out sick today, so Joel is not going to be with me. Uh, it'll just be me. I'm going to have Clint Skulls on here in a little bit from Royals Academy. Um, so it'll be me and Clint here in a little bit, um, recapping day one and day two of the MLB draft. I know there's a lot of tension surrounding the MLB draft at the moment, um, specifically with the Royals' first pick, the left-handed pitching prospect out of Connecticut, uh, Frank Mazzucato. Um, I want to quickly kind of address Frank Mazzucato um, on my end before we talk to Clint about it, and then after we have Clint on, I'll talk about it a little more. I think the Mazzucato pick is being – overreacted to and undersold a little bit. I actually think Frank Mazzucato is a pretty good pitching prospect. I don't want to get lost in the weeds that if Frank Mazzucato had gone like 18th overall, that I think people would have been just fine with whoever drafted him. Um, there's, there's clearly an issue there where you take somebody at number seven that you'd be okay with in the teens. But I really do think he's a good pitching prospect, and I don't want the disappointment in not drafting Kamar Rocker number seven to get in the way of how we view Frank Mazzucato. So, I mean, for instance, um, you know, if, if we would have drafted Kamar Rocker and we would have said, you know, Frank Mazzucato to, let's say, the Cardinals, or I think the Cardinals had the 18th pick, but let's just say it's the Cardinals. Um, Frank Mazzucato's a couple ticks behind Rocker. Um, if Rocker's a 60, Frank Mazzucato's a 45 or a 50, right? I don't want the the – opinion then to be that well because we took Mazzucato instead of Rocker now we're disappointed in getting a 45 or a 50 like having a pitching prospect like Frank Mazzucato in the system is a plus it is a bonus it is you know everybody would take him so don't let that cloud our evaluation of him just because we expected someone else I also think what the Royals did with their money after drafting Mazzucato justified the pick uh, they get Ben Caderna out of Blue Valley Southwest High School. They end up getting Peyton Wilson, a draft-eligible sophomore out of Alabama. They got Carter Jensen, a Park Hill kid, away from LSU. And all three of those guys were going to be tough signs. Peyton Wilson could have gone back to Alabama and hit his way into the first round next year as a junior, which, by the way, he's kind of a COVID freshman, meaning he's a draft-eligible sophomore, but because of COVID – He's got three more years of eligibility left if he wanted them. So I know he's 21 years old, and that's not practical. But getting Kaderna to go to not go to LSU, getting Jensen to not go to LSU, and then getting Peyton Wilson to not go back to Alabama was going to take some extra money. And signing Mazzucato in the first round allowed you to get those three players. And I like all three of those guys, man. I really, really like what the Royals did, and I think – if the Royals had a better track record of player development, I don't think we'd see the outcry and who they picked. I think the talent that they drafted is every bit on par with where they were drafting. Um, I don't think the players themselves are in any way after Mazzucato, right? So in the second round and on, I think the players themselves, I think they got some great talent. I do understand the issue at number seven. And I do understand the issue of player development because player development is going to play a key role in how we evaluate these players moving forward. 
as we sit here on draft day and of draft week, I really like the, what the Royals did. Now, part of drafting is understanding the strengths of your player development program. The Royals do not develop prep arms well at all. Full stop. I don't really know how you can make the argument that they do. Um, so that's part of it. you got to understand your strengths. And maybe the Royals think they've made some adjustments. Maybe the Royals think they've identified some issues and now they're getting ready to go out and fix those issues. But until we see it, I, I don't know how you can say that you can be confident in these guys developing to their full potential. What that doesn't mean, though, is that if these guys were in a better system, like the Dodgers or the Indians, that they couldn't develop to their potential and then be potential all-stars. I think Ben Kaderna has as high of a ceiling of any pitcher in this draft, not named Jackson Job, not named Kamar Rocker or Jack Light. Like Ben Kaderna's ceiling is really, really high if he hits his potential. As an evaluator, you like that. Like myself, as an evaluator of talent, and again, not a very good one, but that's what I'm trying to do, right, is evaluate the talent that they drafted. I love it. I could not like that Kaderna pick more. As an evaluator in an organization where now it is your job to also develop these players, it changes things a little bit. So we'll see what happens. Um, I'm a big fan of, of the draft, and I'll talk specifically about each individual player, both with Clint um, and also at the end when Clint hops off, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of recap my thoughts. Um, but just know as we get started here that I am a fan of what they've done. I am a fan of a few picks they made. Um, I know Eric Sarantola, the right-handed pitcher out of Mississippi State, um, you know, there, there are some there's some obvious issues there. He only pitched in 10 games this year. 24 strikeouts in 17 innings is what I see. And what I see is a guy who spins the crap out of his curveball, RPMs over 3,000 on the breaking ball. And if you put him in the bullpen and let him pitch three to six outs at a time, I think you see a big increase in the results. Uh, kind of looking – I know I know Jonathan Bolin and Noah Murdoch are still starting, but both those guys are good examples of didn't have a ton of success in college. The Royals identified a few things in the delivery in the stuff, got him into the system, and then now Noah Murdoch and Jonathan Bolin both look great. Zach Hockey's another example where the stuff was outstanding at Kentucky, didn't have the results, and as soon as he got into the system, started to have those strikeout results you like. Now, I think Hockey winds up in the bullpen long term, same as Murdoch, but the, the Royals have actually had a decent track record of drafting college arms with good stuff and maximizing that stuff, at least through the lower levels of the minors so far. So um, we'll see how Eric Sarantola kind of pans out. There's a, there's a few other guys I want to talk about later on, but, um, you know, the, the first four picks of this draft, Frank Mazzucato, Ben Kaderna, Peyton Wilson, and uh, Carter Jensen out of Park Hill. I think you got a lot of tools. You got maybe the best curveball in the draft, one of the two or three best prep arms in the draft in Kaderna, one of the most underrated college bats in the draft in Peyton Wilson, and a uh, prep kid in Jensen who – Personally, the first thing I would do is get him out from behind home plate, put him at third base, put him at first base, left field, right field. See if there's a place he fits better because I think the bat is too good. He reminds me a little bit of like Kyle Schwarber where 
The approach is pretty good. It's okay. It's not elite. The batted ball data is insane. And if he ever learns to lift the ball, he's going to be outstanding. So we'll see with Jensen. I think the hit tool is great. I think the batted ball data is great. I would get him out of the way of catcher. Don't even try to let him catch. Get him out of there. Put him in the field and let him focus on hitting the ball really hard. Um, Because I think if you do that, I think you're going to get a good bat there. Um, Might take him a while to develop. Like, I don't think we're going to see Carter Jensen until 2025. But I think you could have a pretty good bat there that potentially is a top 20 bat in the system uh, really soon. So we'll see. Um, I'm excited. I like the draft. And here in just a moment, we are going to have uh, Clint Skulls join us from Royals Academy. But for now, take a quick word uh, from our sponsors. All right, I am joined now by Clint Skulls of Royals Academy. You can check out his work over on Patreon at Royals Academy. Um, you know, some of the best work of Royals Minor League Baseball around. Um, Clint, I know the um, a lot of fans were very confused of the Mazzucato pick. I, I'm, I'm curious to hear your, your thoughts on Frank Mazzucato at number seven. You know, as a player, Mazzucato is pretty interesting as a player. Just put aside what fans think and all that. Um, I think, man, I see a lot of sh- like Shamanaya, Madison Bumgarner, just kind of that low slot with a good sweeping, breaking ball and um, lots of projectability, you know, as a skinny guy. And, and I love the fact that he's already went to work with Cressy performance. And we saw what they did with, uh, what was it, Ben Jarvis last year? Bryce, um, Bryce Jarvis from Duke. And so for a kid to be that that age and already doing that work and putting in, I mean, and he's young. He's going to, you know, he just turned 18 years old. So there's just, just putting on just that and nothing else. I think it's a solid pick at seven with what was on the board. I don't know. I'm not a fan of that. I think there's too much on the board to the way the board laid out. There was too much there to be had with multiple shortstops and Kamar rocker and where this organization sits right now in last place after multiple years of hundred, hundred lost seasons. And last year would have been pacing for about a hundred lost season. I just don't know how you have the cojones to make that pick if you're the front office. Yeah, that's that's what I wrote today. It's brass ones, man. I mean, these guys got brass ones to make that selection at the status that they're in. Um, and obviously, we don't have the full context yet of who's going to be drafted in the 11th and 12th rounds and and what their draft could look like. But it's just as the pitcher, I like it, but it's too high risk for me. The pitcher in the Dodger system, the pitcher in the Indian system or the Padre system, I agree with you. Do you think the Royals have identified the issues they've had with pitcher development in the past? Do you have more faith this year than you would have in 2015 that Mazzucato reaches a ceiling? Or are we – because Mazzucato, I think, I think I agree with you in a sense that the pitcher is fine – based solely on the fact that there is a ton of room for projection here. Like he could legitimately be one of the three or four best pitchers taken in this draft class. If he reaches his ceiling, are you more confident now than you were a few years ago that the Royals can help him get there? Because if they can't, 
this is the type of arm that fizzles out in double A pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, Cody Medeiros is kind of your what you, another guy they were kind of in on, at least rumored to be in on, and has fizzled out at that level. Um, yeah, that's I no, I don't have any confidence to be honest with you. I don't know how you could. I mean, the guys that we've talked about. Shamanaya, um, who's been a success story. Evan Steele, low slot lefty, sweeping breaking ball, been broke down since he got with the Royals. Love Lady, who's not really that, but he is a lower slot lefty. He struggled in the majors. Scoglin, Daniel Lynch, kind of. I mean, I don't know how you could have any confidence, really, at this stage that they'll get there. Yeah, he's got a great spin rate on his curveball. I haven't heard really great things on his fastball spin rate, but I'm told it has carry. But until I see the spin numbers, I don't, I don't, how could I know that? And, uh, and then he's got the changeup. I mean, it's, <clears throat> I don't know how you could have any confidence really with seeing how Daniel Lynch has performed this year and Jackson Coars performed in the majors. Chris Bubich has performed in the majors um, and Brad Keller. So no, you, you can't spin me on that story. Um, and the other thing is, at best case, what? I think Logan Hagen had him had – Eric had him like 29th. That was about the highest he was. Well, he was 21 on Kylie McDaniel's list. Okay, 21 on Kylie. So, at the, and at the best case scenario, if they had somebody waiting elsewhere, then you got the 21st best player at the seventh pick. And from what I'm told, he'll probably command less than $3 million. So where's the stud next pick is my, is my question. If we got, if that's still to come, then that's great. If it's not, then it seems like a poor pick. They have a lot more. I would give them this. We've seen 10 rounds now. They have a lot more confidence in their pitching development than I do. <laughs> it's pretty epic. So I guess that sort of answers half of the next question is the next pick is another prep righty. Again, I think Ben Taderna's floor is a little higher than Mazzucato because he's a righty that already bumps 97 on occasion, consistently 94, 95. But again, if you're drafting a player who's going to get three to four, he's going to get more than your first pick. So if you're drafting a player in the second round who's going to get more than the player you pick number seven overall to keep him away from LSU, he better be really good. And again, in order to reach his ceiling, it's going to be dependent on the Royals' ability to help him shape the breaking ball a little bit and really kind of totally develop a changeup. So if, if they would have gone out and somehow gotten, you know, Will Taylor or Jackson Merrill or – even, I mean, even like an Ethan Wilson, if they could have somehow figured out how to get him in there too. I mean, they got Peyton Wilson out of Alabama, and I think he's going to command a little more than people think because he's a draft-eligible sophomore with a COVID year of eligibility left. So, But I don't think Peyton Wilson is the stud. I mean, I think he's good. I like the pick. But like you said, they invested their money, it seems like, in a prep catcher, who I don't think is a catcher, in a prep righty, who isn't their strength of development. So do you think they – do you just personally disagree with where they're allocating their money, or do you think these guys aren't even going to get all the money that they've saved so far? Well, I don't think 
you know, Frank's getting around three. I've heard rumors Ben's going to get two and a half, three million. Um, you're thinking more than that. To me, he's a local guy without a use, you know, without secondary offerings. How much more can you give him? I mean, you can go out and find anybody with a fastball nowadays. So, so, <laughs> so I just don't know. I mean, I understand he's a local kid and you want to take care of your local guys, but I, to me, there's just no secondary offerings there to really lean on giving him much more than that. Yeah, he's an LSU commit, but I just – you can find it fastballs. Like, I'm sure there's fastball guys still on the board right now. You know, Sarantola, you got in the, in the fifth round, has a huge fastball. <laughs> I mean, so I just – and you follow this stuff more than I – as much as I do – Who's the breaking ball development that they've had? The guy that they've taught a breaking ball to? I don't. I will. I will say that, and I've mentioned this a couple times, that the development of Ben Hernandez this spring. Now I know the the results weren't quite there. He ran his fastball up to ninety eight miles an hour. His breaking ball was his go to secondary pitch in a couple different outings this year. And he, he didn't even have a curveball, in my opinion, coming out of high school. Like he tried to throw one. In my opinion, it was it was so bad it wasn't even worth mentioning in his draft report. It, like anybody can throw, and you can get up there and throw one, but unless it's a thirty to forty grade offering, it's not worth mentioning. And I don't think Hernandez was. His breaking ball was pretty good in in Colombia at times, but like you said, Ben Hernandez, he's only got like what forty innings, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna chalk it up as a success story yet. Um, I think Ben Caderna's breaking ball I think he commands it well when he throws it but it's more like a little it's more than a cutter but it's not really a full-blown slider either like the shape the depth isn't there so like you said I don't know if the Royals are just going to start outsourcing their pitching development and let these guys go do their own thing in the off seasons come back and just try to um, do maintenance work in season I don't know what the plan is, but I would imagine that Mazzucato and Caderna both go straight to Arizona and start working with Royals coaches. So I haven't heard of them bringing in new guys to, to aid in the younger development, but I will say they don't have a lot in Columbia or Arizona right now between Columbia and Arizona. I mean, your best pitching prospect is, I mean, you, you take your pick Delvin Capella and Adrian Alcantara, Matt still, I mean, it's it's not very deep so i i, I kind of get what they're trying to do and, re, and replenish the younger pitching in the system i just don't know that i agree with how they've gone about it specifically because i don't know what confidence we're supposed to have that they're going to develop them correctly i've you know i've watched hernandez starts and even that breaking ball is not enough that that's not enough i mean we've seen Jackson Coar get rocked because he his fastball for one his fastball shape's not correct for what he needs his his command's not there but he also has no breaking ball um, they're just Hernandez breaking ball is better but it's still not a pro breaking ball it's not a major league breaking ball I don't I just can't think of the success story they've had with the breaking ball and, and a pitcher I just I don't know, but I mean, guys that have got good breaking balls are guys that they've already had it, you know, uh, Keller with his slider or, you know, Danny Duffy's breaking balls were pretty much 
already there when he arrived. Um, <clears throat> so it's, it's interesting. I just don't, they, they need an overhaul, especially in the low system of their, of their development for these guys to work out. And, and to me, so if that's what you're going to do, you're going to reshape, retool, bring in new coaches. And why are you taking these guys? If you don't know what you got in your coaching staff and, and then you should, I, to me, Lonnie's just got way too much confidence in his development staff. I would just would not give you've seen what they've done with the bats. And I thought that that's where they would go was lean with bats. And to me, this draft was set up pretty well with it. It was pretty deep in high school bats. And there was a lot of, I think, college bats that you could have picked off pretty early to kind of get till you could have some money for the high school guys later. Instead, they told me that they believe the depth in this draft was pitching. But I, yeah, I just don't really, I'm just not a fan. I mean, I want a guy to at least have one secondary offering that's good when he's already arrived, you know, the fastball is great. That's great. He's got that from blue Valley. Um, but I'd rather have the break, at least a breaking ball or a shape that I know I can lean on that. This is going to be where, where I'm coming from. I think there was enough guys who know spin enough, you know, college guys with good spin in this draft that you could have went and grabbed somebody else, especially at that pick to give that much money to, you know, two and a half, three mil, or what you're thinking, maybe more, three and a half, maybe as much as four. If you're going to pay him three and a half, four million, he needs to already have that second pitch. To me, you could go out and give somebody in the first round three and a half, four million with that with that pitch. Uh, the other thing too that I think we need to start looking at is is are they overpaying players? I, I thought they gave Brady Singer too much money in the first round when he was drafted. Looking at what Libertor got a pick in front of him. And I thought they gave too much money to Nick Lofton last year too. $3.4 million to get down to where he was when there's values to be had elsewhere. Um, I think Nolan Gorman below Singer got, you know, what, about a mil less. I mean, Singer had no leverage to give him that much money. You can like him all he wants, but what's his leverage? Unless you bought, you have to say we bought him down there. That's what you're. That's what the organization has to come out and say when you pay him that much money. Hey, we bought this guy down to the to our pick. He got to this point, and then we said we'll buy him down. And they never came out and said that. To me, you have to say that. And <clears throat> same thing with Nick Lofton. They should have came out and said that. I think they kind of did buy him down to there, but they never said it was Singer. And and to me, if they're they're giving Ben this that much money. The local guy, you shouldn't have to buy that much off. But they seem to be, if, if you're right, and they're giving him a lot more money than $3 million, then they are buying him off. It brings up Brady McConnell as well, where, you know, him at slot value in the second round probably would have been okay, or even a little bit over. They gave him a lot of money in the second round um, with, with, like, question marks that were, you know, beyond the stuff he's experienced off the field – he had question marks in his swing and in his game already that probably didn't warrant um, the big signing bonus. It does bring up an interesting point. And I think the Royals have done a good job. Like they got Clay Dungan for literally 2,500 bucks. Um, Richard Lovelady for the same. And I think Parker Bates is going to be another good example of getting like 
2,500, but fifth-year senior. He has There's nowhere for him to go. So you take a productive fifth-year senior, give him a couple thousand bucks or a plane ticket, and his pick value is 160000 So I think they've actually done a good job of finding themselves a couple hundred thousand dollars here and there. Um, even Uber, they gave this, that to yeah. Tyler Zuber. I mean, and then, I mean Shane Connolly, and their 10th-round pick, is going to get the same deal. So they're going to have, um, you know, three – Four hundred thousand, three hundred fifty thousand ish dollars there to throw around. I think they've done a decent job of that. But you bring up an interesting point, and I kind of want to with with Goldberg's confidence. I want to I want to skip Peyton Wilson. We'll come back to him real quick. Outside of Peyton Wilson, four of the Royals' top five picks in this draft are prep guys. I don't want to look too far into that. But what it feels like that they have said in this draft is the guys at the upper levels are either going to perform or they're not. But we're not going to go draft their reinforcements either in the event that they stumble. We're going to take prep kids to fill them. We're comfortable-ish with the guys at the top. We're going to take younger guys to fill in at the lower levels. And Coar Lynch, Bolin, Marsh, this group, if you don't hit, we're not going anywhere because we're not going to draft Rocker to come bail you out. We're not going to draft um, Will Bednar or Ty Madden to come bail you out. You're going to have to figure it out, which could mean that they have the confidence in that to succeed and, and, and the confidence that it's going to work. But with the team closing in on their window, like I've written about it. I know you've talked about it as well. I think this team has to go 500 next year. And I think they got to make the playoffs in 2023 or at least be damn close to both those goals. Or they're going to lose a lot of the fan base and somebody's going to lose a job. No, I think they're I, definitely going to lose a job. I agree. Yeah. And so by drafting prep players who aren't going to be there, they're just, they're just not going to be anywhere close to that timeline. You are putting all of your eggs in the players you already have to meet that timeline. And if I can put my tinfoil hat on real quick, I wonder if it doesn't signify, too, that they might be getting a bigger – for the Royals, a bigger free agent signing this offseason. I think the eggs are in the basket of Bobby Witt and Alberto Mondesi. I mean, if those guys – it comes down to an if game. If they perform, then the Royals can be really good, and obviously they're going to need some pitching along the way. But that was kind of why I was a proponent of taking – Watson or Brady House, because Rocker knows everybody knows fast his fastball issues and his spin rate issues with that and the form of that pitch, and you're not a great develop, developing team. So, and what's the most valuable asset on the market every year? It's young prep studs. It's young guys who are in the top 100 position players. That's the most valuable thing right now. If you go out and make a all every trade deadline deal we will see this uh, this year, I bet you maybe one top 100 position player gets moved. If that, I don't think any were moved last year. It's not. It takes a huge guy to get a prep guy to get a top 100, not prep guy, but a position player, top 100, top 100 player on the off season. Off season, same thing. It takes a big move, big big player to get a top 100 prospect so that was i that's why i was kind of here let's go brady house hillel watson they'll be top 100 100 guys 
they perform. If the prep, if the pitchers that the Royals have in the system do well, and Witt does well, and Prado's hitting, and we just need a piece, then there's your prospect you can deal for a player to get a player. Rocker has issues. There's teams that don't like his issues. He probably wouldn't return the type of player that you would need. So that's kind of why I was looking at let's add a position player to a deep system, and that'll be what the piece that you need to move later. But so you're right. They're all in. They're all in with their long-term old-school strategy. I'm just waiting for the 11th round pick to be Braylon Bishop or Will Taylor, some high tool guy, tooled up. You know, Taylor would be their perfect guy because he's a multi-sport guy, and they give him three million, and he and he sticks around. I just, I don't know. Um, I don't, you know, I just don't. I don't get their strategy. It seems like they're going old school, their old school strategy of, of prep lefty, low angle, high, you know, curveball, and then add Will Taylor later. And there's your multi-sport guy like Bubba Starling, late Adams, all those guys. No, none of which, neither strategy has ever paid out for them. Of the four prep players they took in their first five picks, um, just in terms of their ability, not in terms of where they were picked and what the money they're going to get. Just in terms of their of the players, uh, rank those guys for me real quick. How you how you like them right now? Um, of the prep guys, you know, I would I would like Mazzucato the best because um, he does have a breaking ball. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see when he arrives. Um, second, you know, I'd probably say Carter Jensen. I like second of the prep guys just cause he's got power. Like you said, he's probably not going to be able to stick at catcher, but is he, what then the, from there it's what position can he play? Is he first base only? I don't know. It's from there. It's really, it's difficult if that's the position he lands in, but the good thing is he's not going to be much over slot. Um, Panzini there's, there's a lot to like there as far as the stuff, you know, he's got, he's got a high spin rate. He's, you know, he's got a good fastball already. He's a big kid. I don't think you've got a lot of projection there, but maybe you only have to tinker with things here or there. So it'd be him or him or Jensen probably for the second best guys. Um, Kinderna, he's probably lagging for me because he just doesn't, you got to have a secondary offering. He just doesn't have it. I mean, he he's he could be a total stud. You know, he, I, if he's throwing 100 next year at some point, I wouldn't be shocked at all. But what's the secondary pitch that goes with it? If it's just a hard slider, then I just find it would be – it would be shocking to me if he developed a slider and a curveball or changeup. Like, they're pretty decent at teaching a changeup, I think. So maybe that can get there with them, but I can't think of anybody that I've ever taught a slider. And if they're going to mess around with a curveball with them, that's not probably going to work. So it's got to be fastball slider changeup. And I can't think of any prep guy that they've tried to work a slider with just tried, not let alone taught it to that. They went out and tried it like off the jump. They always lean curveball. 
They always leak because they want multiple plane breaking balls. I've went over that with JJ. Why do you guys like the curveball so much? It's multiple plane, and I get it, but it's a tough pitch. And in the low minors, you don't get the calls. You know that. You watch games. If you got a big raker, Newweiler, how many curveball calls does he get? Kaufman, he doesn't get it. The curveball is a great pitch, and I think when the computerized zone comes in, it's going to be the best breaking ball you can have. But when you have a big, like Ryland Kaufman's curveball, when you get to the you know computerized zone, I think that's going to be an outstanding pitch. But right now with human umps, it's not it's not a great pitch, especially in the low minors. Um, so yeah, that's, what do you think? What's your how do you rate it? I'd probably go Caderna one. I know the breaking ball is not there yet, but the one that he throws, he commands so well on the outer half of the plate to righty specifically that while that's going to be a work in progress to lefties, if that breaking ball, if he can turn that into a cutter, throw it a little bit tighter and a little bit harder and then develop a bigger breaking ball off of that. I think he's got the best raw stuff of anybody they drafted because Again, I think what he throws right now is is literally it's it's somewhere between a cutter and a slider. Like he doesn't throw it hard and tight enough to be a true big league cutter. It's also not big enough, slow enough off his fastball to be a real slider either. If he can do both, if he can tighten it up and then go back and make it bigger and do both throughout a start, that's going to be lethal. I think that's a really, really, really good combo. I love the shape of the pitch. I love how he commands it. It just needs to be both. It has to be tighter and bigger at different times. Um, I think the fluidity of his motion is so athletic that I think, like you said, he could be hitting 100 next year just by filling out and being bigger, faster, stronger of a human being. I put Mazzucato second, mostly because I don't trust the Royals to get his fastball to where it needs to be. That's why – so I know you were your concern is the curveball. My concern is more the fastball. Like, it doesn't matter how good your curveball is if you throw 92. It just doesn't. And I don't know. Like you said, the curveball, this is – I mean, it's just an indictment on their development staff. How many guys have they taken at 89-92 and turned into 95-96? Like, Ben Hernandez was 95-96 out of high school. He was 98. But, I mean, he was already, he was already throwing hard. Um, I mean, this to me, it reminds me of the Foster Griffin pick, where Foster Griffin – I, I, that's who I can't come off of. I don't think stylistically they throw the same and there's so much more projection in Mazzucato's body, but Foster Griffin was throwing 92, 93 and he was throwing like 89 in double a, like he actually started throwing slower at double a than he did when he was drafted. Nolan Watson was the same way. Nolan Watson was throwing 94, 95. And then he started throwing 92, 93 in, in high a, now, he ended up having – they both ended up having Tommy John. So, I mean, Lord knows what their velocity – actually, I say that. Nolan Watson throwing like 97 all of a sudden, so good for him. But this reminds me too much of the Foster Griffin pick where I like the arm, and if you just said I could have the arm for a couple million dollars, sure, no problem. But like you said, who they passed on, I don't know, man. So I'll go Mazzucato second because I don't know where Jensen's position is. And if he winds up at first base, that's just – you've got to hit a lot. Um, if Jensen can play third base or left field, I would put him above Mazzucato. I'm not confident that he can. I think he's a first baseman. So I'm going to put him third. And then 
Panzini, I just, like you said, he's 20 years old almost in high school. The stuff is great, but he's supposed to be a sophomore in college this year. Not a, you know, so we'll see. Um, you know, like, so like we said, their eggs are all in four prep players, first five picks. I do want to go back and hit on Peyton Wilson because I love that pick. Peyton Wilson, like we mentioned earlier, draft eligible sophomore. He's 21 years old. His approach is not very good. But I think a lot of people are confusing his strikeouts and walks with a hit tool. His hit tool to me is outstanding. His hit tool to me might be my favorite part about him. There's a difference between not being able to hit the balls that are in the zone, like swinging and missing through pitches and chasing bad pitches. Like Peyton Wilson, for me, his hit tool is outstanding. He chases some pitches he shouldn't. He expands the zone when he shouldn't. But in terms of hitting pitches that are in the strike zone, I think he barrels balls up really well. I think he has better batted ball data than maybe people realize. That's a kid for me that could play third base, second base, and maybe even center field um, because he can really run. I mean, he caught for Alabama too. Kids are just a great athlete. I love that pick. He actually might be my favorite pick that they made in the full context, like where they got him, what they're probably going to pay him and the player. He might be like my second or third favorite talent, but I think he might be my favorite pick that they made in the draft process. Yeah, he's, he's a good athlete. Obviously I don't like the, the strikeout numbers. I don't like the Alabama you know, he kind of reminds me of a little bit of Tyler Gentry last year. I mean, obviously same school, um, similar strikeout numbers, um, good athlete. Gentry's not this type of athlete, but he's a really good defender in right field. And Gentry showed big power, obviously. He's shown power with the Royals already. The strikeout numbers worry me. Um, you're talking – you know, just I understand the SEC is tough baseball, but if you're striking out at, you know, 40, you know, he had almost doubled the amount of strikeouts to walks or what it was at 41 to, to 23 or something like that. It's, I, to me, it's just you look at the numbers all the, all the way around and it's not as exciting for, and I, it should, I, I shouldn't be bashing him as much as I'm bashing their draft is that there was too many second basemen in this draft to go out and get him. He could have gotten, uh, you know, there's, there was other picks to be had. I think that I liked a little bit more at the second base. If you're going to over, okay. If you're going to take Mazzucato, why don't you take Trey Sweeney with your first pick? I mean, and then Trey Sweeney's a stud. He's stud on the numbers. He's a stud all the way around. There you underslot him there, and then you go out and then you take your second round pick that you get got, and you still got money. I mean, to me, this it's nothing against Wilson. It just it was that was one of the strengths of this draft to me was college second basements, Norby Sweeney, um, you know, Morissette. Uh, other there was quite a few other guys. That was one. That was something I wrote the day before the draft. Is that that was a really position of strength and Wilson's a good player but to me he's about what where would you put him in that in that position I mean it's a deep position for that for the for the 
college draft this year? Oh, the where would you put him? Fifth, sixth, seventh of the guys? Maybe lower? Trey Sweeney. I mean, I would even include him in a group with like Jackson Merrill. Yeah. So Merrill was a guy I loved too. And obviously they went with Mazzucato. They must have liked a lot more. Um, it was just a it was a deep position. Second base was a deep position this year. Tyler Black, uh, Norby. You know, I just God, I mean, Max Ferguson went in the fifth, you know, fifth round, and and he had a, a difficult year. I just, I don't know. To me, it just seems. Do you think like, it's? Do you think the pick they made Wilson because of the sixty grade speed, or potentially better? Yeah, I think. If, I think he moves out to the outfield. I would move him out to the outfield. Is you're wasting his speed at third base. They are they are thin in the outfield as far as players, especially can he handle a corner? What's, can he play right? Or is he in left? I mean, should be able a plus outfielder. Um, so that's what I would do with them. I, they're pretty deep at second base. You know, you and I have talked, you and I talk a lot about Michael Massey and, and Nick Lofton. Well, one of those guys is going to play second base. I like Massey more than Wilson. So it's, you know, it's, it's a question for me. And if he's goes out to the outfield, then, then I kind of see it. If he stays at second base, then I don't, then I don't know. I don't know. It seems like you're wasting his a little bit there. We'll see. Is he a utility guy is what they kind of listed as. So there was just a lot of second basemen that I liked in this draft and, and to come and that's, if that's the guy that, he came around with. I wasn't as excited about that one. There's nothing against him. Or just he's not one of those guys that excites me compared to the others. Let's talk about the other second base when they drafted then, and then we'll we'll wrap up with the quick one, two, three, four at the end. Uh, Dayton Dooney out of Central Arizona. He actually went to Arizona and is a freshman at Arizona. Posted an OPS over a thousand and 160 at bats, ten home runs, fourteen doubles as a freshman. Struck out a little bit, quite a bit as a freshman, honestly, but he also walked a lot. I mean, overall, I mean, as a freshman at a three-year school, four-year school, you're looking at a pretty good prospect. Sophomore year, I don't know if he got hurt. I really don't know Dayton Dooney's story as a sophomore at Arizona. It was not very good. He transfers out. This year at Central Arizona College at a JUCO, hits 376, nine home runs. So he's back to his, you know, classic – hitting the ball really, really well, 452 OBP. Uh, he actually hit 21 doubles to go with his nine home runs and four triples. So um, there's a really good bat in there. I'm wondering, A, do you know why he went out of Arizona? I don't know this kid's story. Um, I've seen the videos. If you're going to get this kind of guy in the sixth round, fantastic value, go for it. Do you know why he transferred out, and do you know why he fell to the sixth round? Um, no, it's just, I think college just, you got your, you know, I just think you've got just a, a factor of if you're not getting playing time, you're going to, you know, leave, you're going to move out. I don't, I haven't heard the story of why, why he transferred out. I think he was committed to go to Tennessee for his second, you know, division one scholarship if he took it. Um, so it's, it's just one of those things. I think it's just an attrition rate um, of college baseball. And, and so, but he, he looks like a good pick. I mean, for the sixth round, he, 
He's got a good swing, got a little bit of pop, switch hitter, which is nice. Um, but again, kind of like Wilson, that that position's pretty deep in this system. Just middle infield is deep in general. Uh, so it'll be interesting. You'll have to he'll have to go out and hit right away. Otherwise, he'll get pushed or pushed aside pretty quickly. Um, so we'll see if, if the junior JUCO's, you know, stuff transfers. Um, of the picks that, you know, the kind of middle round picks, it seems like Panzini, I, I really like their fourth, fifth, sixth round picks, you know. Um, I kind of like I kind of like those as much, if not more, than their second, you know, second through third round picks. Um, just because they're not there's not much risk there involved with any of them. And you might come away with one player, hopefully one player out of the group. Sarantola, I think, is a is a that's a fun risk to take kind of along that Noah Murdoch, just, you know, not really Stama, but uh, just those big right-handers that big stuff. And if you can mold it into something, maybe you got something there. Um, Actually, so. I, I compared Sarantola a little bit to Murdoch right before you came on. So, um, so on yeah, the there, I think that makes a lot of sense actually. Yeah. It's a great, the, you kind of hit on it with McConnell a little bit. I don't think you really talked about it, but you kind of brought it up. Where's this organization on guys mentally? It doesn't seem like they're getting a very good grasp of it. I mean, we had, we know Ash Russell ran into stuff really quickly in the org. Um, McConnell, and I'm not saying that's brought up by the Royals, but he had that. That's something that you need to find out in your pre-draft meetings. You need to find out where that is. And Sarantola, I mean, he left the team. He left a team that went out to the World College World Series. So how big of a team guy is he? Now, that may be something that's him and the coach, and maybe that's not on him. But you got to be really sold on that stuff beforehand. And and the Royals have had some issues with some mental guys, and that's kind of where it – I'm scared off a little bit and there's, you know, I'm scared off with the, pitch, the pitchers that they have and there's pitching development. And then I'm scared with their mental capacity with some guys and, and identifying guys that will be fits. They're greatest. You know, Dayton's a great guy. I love talking to Dayton. I love talking to all the guys, but they are missing something with some draftees here. And, and, and it is a weird thing, especially with like, in that article from Alec Lewis at the athletic, they're talking about Brady McConnell. He was like, yeah, he's like, we slept in the airport, got to Idaho falls at like four o'clock, got to the ballpark thinking there's no way we play. And we're in the starting lineup. Like what the hell? I mean, that, and it's, and it's stuff like that. That's just like, if you, even if you don't have a grip on these guys before you draft them, like the, maybe there's a process that's breaking down somewhere of like, making these guys feel at home, making their confidence more relevant and getting them more confident before they go out. I thought that story was crazy. I mean, I, I don't know that those two things are connected for McConnell, but the idea that you would put someone on a plane for their first go round and rookie ball and have them play a couple hours after they get off. I don't know. That was, it was weird. And it, and it kind of made me wonder like what else goes on that they're clearly missing with some of these guys and fitting their needs. Cause I mean, we can talk about, you know, I don't think with McConnell's story specifically. So let's use somebody else as a, as a better example. Let's say Bobby Witt Jr. Was like, Hey, I really miss my mom. 
Well, you can approach that one of two ways. You can say, hey, you need to grow up and X, Y, Z. Or you can say, we invested $7 million into this guy. We should probably do whatever it takes to make it work. And it seems like the Royals have just kind of tried to do things their way or the highway. And it's like, that's fine. But you just invested a first-round pick and a bunch of money or a second-round pick and a bunch of money in these guys. And it does kind of make you wonder if they're being taken care of or not that they're not being taken care of because we know that the Royals continue to pay their guys like not like their physical needs are being met, but like mentally, like are, are you helping them through the process and like making sure that your investments are taken care of, making sure that the people in your organization are taken care of. It, it's a worthy conversation that I don't know enough about. I, I really just don't know. Um, but it is they're, kind of, it, it is kind of interesting. They're very good. I think, there, I have no issues with how they take a guy once he's in the org. I mean, they've given Mondesi personal days. They've given uh, other guys personal days. They obviously they gave it to McConnell. My thing is, Brady should be like, I mean, he should be beating down the door to want to be in the lineup. If you mentally grab the right guy, this should be the guy that gets there and says, "Why am I not in the lineup?" Not M. Oh God, I don't want to play today. And they should have discovered that beforehand. That hey, this isn't the guy we want to take. And nothing against Brady, other than I don't think he was a, the correct pick. And I think he's proved out so far that he's really struggling in a in a level now. I mean, here's a he. He's two years into this organization. He should not be at low A. He should be pounding the door to get into double A right now. And he's struggling at low A. So that's proven to be a rough, rough pick. And that's my whole thing. It's Sarantola left the team. Is that on him? Is that on the, is that on the team? I mean, the team obviously had great camaraderie. That team worked. They looked great in those called world series. They ran through everybody else and they did it all with him. No problem. And that wasn't even brought up. And this was the kid who was, preseason their top pitching prospect I mean going into the season he was their number one pitching prospect he goes through struggles boom he's gone they take off so I don't know it's something something we can at least look at in the future if it doesn't work out you know what kind of kid are the Royals getting that's fair and and I may have misunderstood where you're coming from originally but yeah no that's a good point makes sense Seven, eight, nine, ten. Noah Cameron, Central Arkansas. He's actually from St. Joe originally. Missed this year. The fastball was pretty big before. Ryan Sapero from the Carlos Beltran Baseball Academy in Puerto Rico. Parker Bates, fifth-year senior out of Louisiana Tech. And then Shane Connolly out of Virginia Tech, transferred from the Citadel. Anything in your opinion there? Just savings. That's what you got, savings. You're saving money. I mean, I, I don't know what Sapero is going to – draw but i mean puerto rican guys are hard to know what they're gonna what they're gonna bring but and and you might have a player in there of the four i think cameron if cameron would have been healthy this year i think he pitches his way into the top five rounds for sure i think he could have pitched his way into the top three or four um but the injury i mean who knows i don't even know what his injury was i don't know why he missed this season Um, they've drafted a lot of guys from central arkansas and the Dodgers took a guy from Central Arkansas the other year. I was looking at it. the most of players ever been paid out of there's a hundred grand. So, I mean, 
for him to their savings. That's all it is. Yeah. I mean, he, he's got a big body and like you said, a big fastball, maybe he's something, but it's, it's a school that's down the chart a little bit. That's fair. All right. Parker Bates, by the way, if you're looking for the next like Clay Dungan, I think he's got a possibility. He's a little bit older. He's going to get a couple thousand dollars, but I kind of, I was, I went back and watched and I found a couple of videos. One was from 2020 and one was from this year. Um, his swing looks like it has more loft in it. Like it looks to me like he decided, look, if I'm ever going to play professionally, I got to hit more home runs. And he went from where I think Ethan Wilson's power outage came from in too many line drives, not lifting the ball enough. I think Parker Bates' swing now more looks like I'm going to intentionally hit the baseball in the air to try to create more power. I, you're not getting any kind of a star there. Could he be a guy like Clay Dungan that shoots up into double A sort of surprisingly quickly? produces a little bit and makes you wonder. I, I think he's the candidate. Otherwise, like you said, I don't know that there's like a, like a big name guy there. I was, this is the thing about this. After talking to Albert Gonzalez this last year about their international signees and, and they, they kind of went away from what they used to do. They used to go big athlete. Hopefully they can hit along the way. They'll teach to hit, you know, and I think, Umberto, Artiago, those, those type of guys, guys with good gloves, going to be able to be athletic and hopefully we'll get them to hit this out along the way. This year they changed up, went for big bats. They were, aren't worried about the athleticism as much as they used to. And that's what I was hoping we would see in the draft, a similar philosophy. Hey, let's not worry about, you know, position. Let's not worry about defense quite as much because we can put them in the correct spot with analytics and to see them go the opposite way, I think, and, and just go heavy on pitching. That's kind of, it's disheartening to what I was hoping to see. Well, even if it would have been college pitching, like I heard, and I don't know if I should even say this on the podcast, but I'm going to, because I doubt anybody's listening at this point. Uh, I heard they had a pre-draft deal with Will Bednar potentially at number seven. So even if they, let's say that was fake, but let's say that, would have been the play. Even if you go with Will Bednar, you're getting a college performer there way under slot instead of a high school player. It's not even that they went pitching for me. It's the fact they went prep pitching. Like they have to know their reputation on this. Like there's no way they don't know unless they are so arrogant and naive to think that this is 100% the players and not their fault, which I, I don't think is the case, but unless they do, they have to know that their reputation of developing prep pitchers is horrible. So for them to draft three prep pitchers in the first five picks tells me that either A, they love the player, or B, they're semi-confident they can fix their issues. They've got to love – with Mazzucato, they've got to love the player and think there's no issues to me. They, they can't really – I just can't imagine they look at him and say, oh, he's worth the, the seventh overall pick and – to me, they just got to think he's got two. He's got two great pitches now, and we'll teach him that we'll fine tune his his changeup. That's for me. Uh, and then Ben, you you've talked about the other things. The thing that worries me about Ben is the how e it's not easy to teach spin. I, it's just not. And if you don't 
you like his cutter or breaking ball, but to me, you got no spin. That's why I love Job so much. To I, I was not scared of Jackson, and obviously Detroit's not because okay, what happens if if like with Foster Griffin and he takes a step back, he's still got all that spin to lean on. He's still got all that spin to lean on, and you got two multi, you got two secondary pitches right there. You know, at worst case scenario, he probably ends up like Jacob Junis <laughs> as a guy who who can throw 92, 93 with a great, great couple great secondary offerings. And that's why you got in. That's to me, you go out. That's why I don't mind the Mazzucato pick as much as everybody else, because at least he's got that spin. He's got that spin already there. And he's into Cressy, which is huge already. He's got to have more fastball coming. I, I'm not worried about that. You know, with Foster, Scott Blewett, and the other, guy, the other guys that kind of you mentioned, and Jacob Junis a little bit, they never went out to try to get velocity. They never went out. I mean, they tinkered a little bit here and there. But you got to get on the plane, man. You got to go out to Seattle. You got to go get it. And you can go find velocity now. That's what's crazy to me. Go out, get on a plane, three months in the offseason, go find some velocity. You can do it. Everybody does it. Why didn't they ever go do it? I mean, this kid at least is taking his, he's taking his, you know, program on the road already to show, hey, I need to do these things to to make myself a better player. Agreed. All right. So Draft grade, really quick, recap in the first 10 rounds, give it a grade. Oh, I got to go. I got to go legit D plus. <laughs> D plus. I mean. I'm going to give them, I'm going to give them a C plus. I would be at a D plus if I didn't believe in the players. I would be at a B plus if I believe in the player development. So I'm going to go C plus. I think they – I think Peyton Wilson saves them. If they would have gone with another prep arm there or something, I would have been with you. I like Peyton Wilson. I like Kaderna a lot. I'm going to go C+. If the player development was better and I really, really believed in it, I could see this being a B plus, A-. minus. But with the context of that, I'm going to go C+. I think the players – are closer to a B plus. I think the player development drags it down. So um, I'll go B plus there, but I appreciate you coming on, man. Um, Anytime man. happens between 11 and 20, it's entirely possible that they still sneak Will Taylor out of this. I don't think it's likely, but it's possible. So um, we'll see what happens. If I had to put money on it right now, Will Taylor either plays for Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, or the Clemson Tigers next year. Um, but we'll see. Um, short of or Baltimore, that, Baltimore's got a lot of money too. I could see that as well. So short of that, I don't see this becoming a B draft for me in any capacity. Um, they, they've, they've got him. If they can show me they can do a better job player development then the same draft class in two years could be a B for me. Um, but at the moment I'm, I'm just a little skeptical of the, the future specifically of Mazzucato. Cause that's got to work, but we'll see. We'll see, man. All right. Thanks, Clint. All right.
All right, big thanks to Clint Scholes of Royals Academy. Again, you can go over to patreon.com, look up patreon.com at Royals Academy, um, support his work over there. I like a lot of what he said, and, and Clint and I agree about a lot of things that the Royals do. We also disagree a little bit in, in maybe our evaluation and our preferences in players, which is, I think, a good compliment. Um, so I appreciate him coming on to give a little bit of a different perspective and a little bit of a different take on maybe what the Royals did. We've run a little long here. I'm going to let you guys go. I appreciate you if you're still listening about our draft days, one and two recap. Please head over to royalsfarmreport.com, and you can find us on Twitter, at royalsfarm. We also have a Patreon page, patreon.com, royalsfarmreport. Um, head on over there. Donate a dollar a month even helps. Um, I know it takes Joel about 15 bucks a month to run the podcast page. It t- it costs, you know, you know, minor league tickets cost money. Minor league baseball TV costs money. So all of the coverage we bring to you guys, it does cost money, believe it or not. So head on over there to that Patreon page if you don't mind uh, supporting Royals Farm Report guys a little bit. we got a ton of guys who do a lot of great work. So I appreciate you guys. Um, we'll be back next week with a recap of the minor league week, but also of um, uh, a look back at the draft, including rounds 11 through 20, and just kind of what are our thoughts in a week. We'll talk to you guys next week. Thank you very much. Thank you.